0: And welcome to episode 226 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis
1: Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, thanks to Text Expander for sponsoring our show.
0: Communicate smarter with Text Expander. Gather, perfect, and share your knowledge.
1: Recall your best words instantly and repeatedly. Learn more at Textexpander.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. In our last episode, we talked about the dark web and what legal professionals
0: might need to know about this scary place. And it actually is a really scary place. In this episode, we look at today's legal technology landscape and some of the biggest challenges. And we'll talk about what we mean by challenges uh, that we're seeing these days, Uh, keeping in mind that every challenge for
1: someone else could be an opportunity for you. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, speaking of scary things, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be discussing what we consider to be the today's biggest challenges in legal tech. Uh, in our second segment, we'll talk about the interesting and odd practice of tweet storming. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, uh, today's biggest challenges in legal tech. This is the time of year that we usually like to assess the current landscape, take a look back at what happened over the past year, peer into the future a bit. Uh, In this episode, we actually want to look at some of the challenges in the current landscape of legal technology. Before we start, though, Dennis, my first question really to you is... In what context do you mean challenges in legal tech? Challenges to who? What kind of challenges are you talking about? Let's set the table before we, we move forward. You know, Tom, I thought it was going to be like Twitter where I could just say challenges without defining anything
0: and people would just do like and retweet what I said. But I guess you're right. We need to dig into it a little bit. And so by challenges, I'm sort of looking into some of the areas uh, that, that I think should be on people's radar. I also think there're some of the, the attitudes, uh, the difficulties, things like that that make it difficult for us to, to get to to where we want to be. I always think of our audience as people who really want to um, do more with technology, do the right thing are very conscientious about technology and sometimes uh, there's just a number of things that get in the way of getting let's say from point A to point B so so we'll talk about a number of things, but that's the sense that I mean challenges.
1: Okay. So now that we understand what you mean by challenges, we kind of understand that. Um, I guess the next question is, uh, are you seeing the same challenges, uh, perhaps amplified, or are these new challenges you're talking about? Well, actually, it's both, uh,
0: of course, and because uh, I wrote the setup question you so did? I could answer it as, as both. So I think that we uh, we do see... Uh, some of the same challenges, and we'll go into some of those, which I think are kind of in some cases generating more pressures uh, than they have in the past and, and some new things that, that are coming along that make things uh, interesting as well and will uh, push people as uh, both right now and as we go forward in the, in the near future.
1: Well, I think I'm going to be the curmudgeon on this because I, I don't want this podcast to be about uh, saying that there's lots of challenges out there and lawyers need to get on board or they're going to find the future is is overtaking them and that they will be lost and not not competitive. I don't want it to become that kind of podcast. And this kind of question, I think, is so esoteric. We could easily turn this into an hour podcast just talking back and forth. And, and I think I just want to boil it down. If I boil it down, I say, there's more technology for lawyers to think than ever before legal technology is finally getting the respect it deserves in the form of investor do- uh, investor dollars but lawyers are resistant to changes which compounds the problem because there are more challenges than ever before so i i think that to me that's what i see in terms of the challenges uh, you know what's <laughs> where do we go from there i don't want i mean what's the what's what's the message we're trying to communicate here dennis I do agree with you that I, I think
0: that it's, it doesn't really help people to say like, oh, there's all this technology, you need to do it, uh, or you're falling behind, or you're dead, or you're going out of business, or those sorts of things. People make choices. I mean, there's, you know, technology hits us at different ways at different times. And so I, I think that, you know, if if you're just Going to continue doing the same thing you're doing and just tweak it a little bit with technology. That's one approach. I think our audience is looking for ways where they can say, What can I do that makes a difference? And I may not have to do everything. I may need to kind of be strategic and pick things that make sense. But I don't think it's like, you know, do technology or, or die thing. It's like, how can I be smarter about technology and be aware? of what might make it a little bit harder to do one thing that I might, uh, want to do, uh, but, uh, which means that I might want to try something else. Or if I see that the rest of the profession is going to be challenged to do something, maybe I see that as an opportunity. So that's, that's how I think about it is, is kind of, What's what's been changing in, say, like the last year or so, that that could make a difference to what you're doing? But I think your your quick list of the five or six things there are are obviously front and center. They're they're important things that that really are happening.
1: Well, but so I'll come back to my question, which is. What makes today different other than the fact that there's just a whole lot more technology to think about? Because one of the problems that we talk about constantly here, and and there's a lot of legal tech pundits who talk about this, is resistance to change, and lawyers are slow to change, and lawyers are, are not early adopters, and my gosh, why aren't lawyers using technology? Well, I think that there's tons of choices out there. There's so many things for them to do, but lawyers can't even decide the tools they want to use in their practice. They can't even always decide those simple, basic tools that make their job easier. The average lawyer is not thinking about how AI can help them or how they can build an app that are going to help underserved potential clients help themselves or how blockchain could be used to manage contracts. They're not thinking about, they're thinking about how do I get my clients' records better organized? How can I automate some document creation, create some templates that I can put those together? Um, How can I streamline my billing process so that I can get paid faster? I still think they're asking the basic questions of trying to do that. And so I guess my question here is what's the point of talking about the fact that there's even more technology to think about? What problem are we trying to solve here? I would also
0: say that, that lawyers have a hard enough time just, uh, you know, kind of sorting out the, uh, what's the difference between what's on the one hand and what's on the other hand. So technology is not different than some of the other things that, that lawyers do on a regular basis. So I, I think that the notion here for me is to say, if I'm looking at technology. And, you know, part of the thing is that technology is changing very rapidly and there are a lot of choices. So the challenge for you is to have this self-awareness to say, okay, in this type of world, which is different, because I think. Tom, you and I would both agree that if we look back even, you know, four years ago, we sort of felt we're on top of a lot more of technologies than, than we are today. There's, you know, there's so many new things and the pace of change is accelerating so fast. I think it's hard to say, oh, I'm an expert on all these things. So in that context, you say, that's the challenge. So what's my response to that? Well, my response has to be, either to say, I'm going to try to do the impossible and stay on top of everything, or I'm going to take a closer look at what it is that I want to do and then look at things in those areas and say, those are the things I have to keep up on. And maybe I can delegate some other areas to somebody else. And it's also going to say, I need to look at my practice I need to look at my clients and my clients' needs, and can I use that as a way to filter and uh, focus on, uh, you know, what's happening? As you say, there are so many choices clearly, and the the uh, pace of change is accelerating, and and we all know that lawyers are resistant to change. So I say, if I'm self-aware about that and I know those are the issues, then how can I adjust what I'm doing with technology to take those into account and then still be productive and effective in the choices that I make? And I think one of the answers is is some sense of simplification, uh, filtering, and focus.
1: I don't totally disagree with what you're saying, but I still sort of think that talking about this in terms of new challenges um, is sort of beside the point for many lawyers, because I think that that to a certain extent, we're discussing a problem that a lawyer, a lot of lawyers, I don't know how to put this, that they don't care about, not because they're resistant to change, but they have more basic things on their mind. The And, and the pace of technology is saying, we don't care about your basic problems, we're creating new problems for you to worry about. And I think that what you just talked about there, uh, self-awareness, is the ability to filter out the noise, to say, you know what, I get it. I get that AI is going to be important or I hear that it's going to be important. But rather than stress myself out on whether I need to learn about all these advanced topics, maybe I keep my eyes on the prize and figure out how to really – Improve my practice so that I can serve my clients the better way. And that may not mean learning more about blockchain or learning more about artificial intelligence. But I agree with you if that's what you're saying that we need to, that lawyers need to be more focused and really. Choose what they need to be doing, but that may not mean focusing on a new challenge. That may mean focusing on challenges that have existed for years. Well, so that's why
0: I think we, if we look at the challenge, we would say, well, one of the challenge might be our problem or our client's problem. So let's let's put that aside because I think that's a topic for another podcast. What I'm saying is that if once I've kind of reached that baseline and I say I want to move forward or I need want to think about moving forward, I'm. Say well, what are the change or what are the challenges in me, you know, making decisions about that, gathering information about that, um, and understanding that. And I think that in in all of those categories, especially getting good information. It has become significantly more challenging. And then uh, to go back to the self awareness notion, if you look at the you know the early adopter curve, you kind of need to get a good sense of where you are.
1: I, I will disagree slightly that it is harder to learn. I, I think to one extent, it's hard to find out how to get information and learn about the technologies that you really need to adopt in your practice because there's so much noise. Because if I go on to Twitter and I follow all my technology feeds that that are about lawyers, I don't have any lawyers who are talking to me about the basics. They're all talking about innovation and blockchain and AI. And I hate to keep using those words, but I don't hear anything about the basics and what lawyers need to have. And that kind of stuff gets drowned out these days. And um, so I think if we're talking about challenges, I think the challenges of really getting the help you need to get to the point you want to be, I I agree. That is a very real challenge that I think a lot of lawyers have, and trying to figure out how to get to that help for what it is they need is something that's worth talking about.
0: Yeah, and I think there is so much noise. So I, I think one of the difficulties and challenges has become to get really good information, and I sometimes have talked, uh, well, I, I have talked to people who say there should be this site that does like, uh, it's a consumer reports for legal software, and somebody should just do that. And, you know, it's a great idea, but it's almost incomprehensible to me, like how much work would go into building and maintaining that. And I don't even see a financial model that makes sense. So we know we don't have that. We know that in the last, I just saw something today, like a billion dollars has gone, a venture capital has gone into what we will loosely define as legal tech. A fair percentage of that is going to be going into advertising and marketing and, you know, talking about how great these things are and how innovative they are. And it's going to be really difficult to understand. And it's not going to be great information. So you have to uh, understand things, read critically, all those sorts of things. As Tom says, if you're on Twitter... Oh, my God, these days that, uh, you, you know, if somebody says AI or innovation or blockchain, there's like it feels like there's about 100 people who say there's no value to these things. I want to ban these words. Well, if you're somebody interested in these topics... Uh, which are significant topics that you actually need to, I, I go outside the, the, the world of, of legal information and uh, legal Twitter and and all, all of that to get solid information that I want. There's also yeah. the echo chamber notion out there where everybody agrees on one, you know, one thing. Oh, this is the way to do things. This is the perfect software. You know, this is the perfect service. Uh, this is a perfect hardware. You're either Mac or you're not. And and the fact is there's other choices. So I think it's difficult to get information. So to me, that is a challenge. And a lot of it is to say, okay, where do I need to go for information? And, and that's always been probably, if we were ever able to agree on what our mission is with our podcasts and our books and everything we've ever done, it's to help people learn to think critically and to give them good information and processes to make them Their own good decisions and reassure them that there are many possible good decisions.
1: Well, you're right. I think we don't want to tell people what they should do, and just you know, there. I I would imagine there's some lawyers out there who are saying, "Just tell me what to get, and I'll go get it," because I don't have time to think about that. I'm too busy practicing. Um, But there are enough tools out there and enough places where you can. Find information that can help you think more critically about this. I mean, I think if I'm giving examples, I think about. I mean, Technolawyer is a great community for of lawyers talking about how they use technology. You're not having discussions on Technolawyer that often about AI or blockchain or innovation. You're t- there. These are folks in the trenches who are talking about um, the tablets that they use and the software that they use to annotate depositions and uh, the the best litigation technology for for certain things. Um, um, attorney at work does a good job at talking about uh, legal technology things. I, I always think that law technology today, the LTRC resources always give a lot of good information. The the ABA Tech Show and their um, best of tech show uh, webinars and, and seminars are good ways to learn more about that. Um, I, I think there's a ton of good unbiased uh, opinions by people out there who um, I I think are definitely worth trying, but you've got to make that effort. You can't just kind of, I I, I think Twitter's not the place. I think that uh, a number of other places are are wrong, but finding good resources, I think, is one of the first steps.
0: Well, it really does come back to that old notion of another word that people say they love to hate and kind of drove off the internet, which is this curation notion. You're looking for somebody who is out there kind of doing a lot of the groundwork for you that you you know you can rely on and, and you're able to have some assurance and and some good feeling about what they're producing, and then you're able to compare it in some ways and to read critically, all of which are things that lawyers are taught to do and we excel at. Um, then I think you talked about something I think is really important too, Tom, which is you need to understand what your level of, uh, Technologies, or so sort of what layer it is. So, for me, if you talk about litigation, then I'm interested in litigation analytics, how that might apply to litigation funding, you know, litigation. Platforms connecting up vendors and and the lawyers for lit support or e discovery. That's where I'm at because I'm not doing trials or anything like that. But if you if you're
1: doing trials, then you got
0: to be exactly the other direction.
1: Yep, I care less about that. I want to talk more about how to persuade a jury, how to present your case to a jury, and and do it in a way that doesn't take away from from your ability to represent your client at the same time. And
0: I think that also that goes back to the thing where we always talked about uh, jobs to be done or sort of understanding the context that you're doing things. So if you say, if I'm doing jury trials and what I need to do is to persuade the jury, then I'm looking at, I'm probably looking, if it were me, I'd be looking at the science of persuasion, what people are doing. And then I would say, how would any technology that's out there or any technology I'm considering help make me more persuasive? And if it does, I investigate it. And if it, or if it could. And if I don't think it will, I shut the door on it. You know, I don't care, like, how, whether it's the new shiny object or people are saying, this is great. I say, I'm the one who sees what's going on and I gather evidence and I get feedback and and I can make a good decision about it. But I also want to be aware of what's going out there. So I'm not the one who's surprised one day with somebody using, you know, new technology that just blows away my case and I'm totally unprepared for it. So that's how I see looking at what's going out there is that I think you can be like, as you said, Tom, I can can be at the ground level and say, this is what I'm focused on. What helps me, you know, do the contracts I'm doing now, review things I'm doing, streamline the process, that sort of thing. But also, if I have the chance to look at bigger things or the ability to do that or the time to do that, then that's what I want to do. Or if I know I can't do that, then I know I want to listen to this podcast or read what you and I write or what uh, you know other people write who, th- who think through those things and have access to more information and they, who can distill it in a way to say, oh, here's something that might make sense for me that's worth putting on my list of of things to learn more about. We probably need to to wrap up this segment, but I I sometimes think that, uh, you know, one great example for me is that, you know, where we were on the whole notion of collaboration tools, you know, that the importance of those and then our approach, the approach we we took to collaboration tools, I think is actually a, a useful one You know, as you as you move forward in that, I mean, not to overplug the book, Tom, but I mean, what lessons do you draw from our approach to collaboration tools over the last ten years? When you know, originally, nobody even knew what we're talking about. To now, people go, "Wow, this is really important stuff."
1: Well, I mean, I think if we take that and, and sort of package up what you've just talked about in terms of developing a strategy and really taking all the steps that you've said, you're gonna try to focus on what's important to you and your practice. Um, You're going to find the right resources to help you learn about it. But I think at the same time, I think what you're saying, Dennis, is, is while you're trying to get really good on some things, like we got on collaboration tools, like we tried to understand as much as we could about them, and I think it's really paid off to get to that point, you want to learn as much as you can to find the right resources to do that. But at the same time, being able to keep an awareness of other things that are out there of other legal technology, things that are on the horizon, not so much so that you know everything about them, but so that you are at least aware about whether and or how you could leverage those things if they ever became important in your practice. Because again, it's like you say about the trial presentation, you don't want to come to court one day and find that you've got that your opposing counsel is using a totally new technology that you'd never heard of, and you get blown away by it. By the same token, you want to make sure that there's not some new technology out there that is going to blow away your entire practice, and you don't know that it's going to happen either. So at least doing the the minimum to keep aware to understand in general what's happening you, like you s- said talking on a podcast or li- excuse me listening on a po- to a podcast or finding some articles out there from some of the resources we talk about may be enough to just uh, to just get that level of awareness up there and then and then when it comes more important then you can do the deep dive and uh, and, and become more the expert if it's necessary to your practice and not be afraid to say that you don't know or to
0: ask questions. I mean, just don't be insecure about it. I mean, it's sort of one of the great things about this time is everything's changing so fast. There is so much. It's, you know, nobody should feel bad about saying, hey, I, you need to explain this to me. And, and that's really a nice thing, uh, you know, ultimately about, about this time period.
1: Yep. And it's okay to not know everything about everything. I don't think that's the goal here of tech competence. I think competence comes from, using the, from understanding the technology you need to use for your clients and being generally aware of what might be out there. But I don't think that anybody's arguing that tech competence means you know everything about everything. Because like you say, Dennis, there's just too much stuff out there to know everything about. All right, let's take a break and uh, hear a message from our sponsors before we move on to our next segment.
0: Text Expander is a productivity multiplier. Lawyers love Text Expander because with a short abbreviation or search while typing, Text Expander can produce cover emails for invoices or signing instructions, insert templates for consistent meeting notes, perform accurate date math on the fly, and instantly present things you retype all the time. TextExpander runs on Macs, iPhones, iPads, and Windows and works in any application. Visit Textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre screen process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servnow.com.
1: And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy. And I'm Tom Mile. We're going to switch things up a little bit in this segment. We sometimes have used this segment for something that um, we like to call Tom's rant, because I tend to go on a rant against some tech development that really irritated uh, me. Uh, Dennis has caught the bug. He seemed a little irritated lately by something uh, known as tweet storming, uh, and he really wanted to talk about it. Uh, Dennis, should we call this segment Dennis's rant? Very creative. You know, Tom. I'm
0: actually so you know mild mannered and soft spoken. It's hard to think of me ranting. So I, I tend to think of this more. Dennis raises a serious question for people to think about and mulls it over. But which is not quite as good a rant. But that's sort kind of what I have in mind here. So tweetstorming is this practice that you're seeing more and more more of as people. You know, initially struggled with the 140 character limitation of Twitter, and and then it got a little better with uh, 280 characters. But people said, oh, I have something that doesn't fit into that. So I want to try to figure out a way to use Twitter to get these longer thoughts in. Okay, so those of us who've been blogging and, and using other uh, internet resources for a long time ago, like, yeah, that's that's what you use a blog for. Um, you know, you, you don't use Twitter for that. But what people have seemed to hit on, especially in the last few months, is this tweet storming notion. So if you go to typically like a magazine site, uh, sometimes to a newspaper's site, they have, and probably the most annoying thing in the world is they'll do this thing where they'll break an article into like... You know, 16, 20, 30 different segments, and you have to click through to get to the next page on all all of them. do it a lot with these sort of picture things. You go like, oh, here's the 30 top songs you need to do, something like that, I don't have a picture of the thing, and then you have to click through each one separately, and they run you through a whole set of, uh, a whole maze of ads. Most annoying thing in the world. So unfortunately, the tweet storming basically adopts that idea. That says, oh, what I can do in Twitter is I can take this longer form notion and I can break it up. And what I'll do is I'll just put a number, typically a number at the beginning or the end of each tweet. And there could be 16, 20. I know Tom has talked about recently seeing some that are in the 30s. And then if you're following that person, all of a sudden you get this weird set of um, sometimes it, it breaks in the middle of sentences and you gotta follow this stuff along or sometimes somebody retweets it and you'll get something that says like 17 and we'll have this weird sentence out of context. And it becomes really difficult to read or to figure out what in the world is going on, to, to understand it. It definitely becomes impossible to reply to it other than the, to just say, hey, great tweet storm from so-and-so because uh, it's impossible to do uh, a comment. And you might comment to something in the middle and then realize that later they actually address the, the point that you made in your comment. So it just strikes me of uh, just a classic case of either one, Dennis getting older and being a bit of a curmudgeon and saying, why don't people do things the way I used to? And, and why don't I understand this newfangled use of Twitter? Which it could be, I acknowledge. But I think more so it's the case of just flat out picking the wrong tool for what you want to accomplish. I mean, like, You know, when I look at things, anything on the internet, I go, what is my audience? What am I trying to convey? What's the right medium for that? And I would say these longer thoughts, especially something that's an argument about something or a longer response to somebody, this is like... The worst possible Way to do that If you think about it And That's why One of the reasons Blogs were so great You could You'd either do Your own blog post In response to somebody And have like a You know Like a reasoned argument in Twitter, you're just gonna have like this sort of battle of of buzzwords. So it's uh, I hope it's something that you know goes away. Uh, Our people kind of rethink it. Uh, but otherwise, I t- it's just something, Tom. I really struggle with, and it is a, a source a source of irritation because, like I said, a lot of the response are, you know, so and so does this great tweet storm, and then you go into it and you're going like, I can't even figure out what the hell they're saying.
1: Well, I'm not sure what I can add to that. Uh, you've been pretty thorough. And I would say that I started out with this wanting to, you know, let this be your rant, and I'm going to struggle to not make it my rant. I think I think my, my basic opinion, to no one's surprise we agree on this, um, my basic opinion is that I just don't have any patience for this kind of... Of tweeting I as you were mentioning um, there's a tech person who I respect a lot and who I get a lot of um, enjoyment out of the tweets that they have um, but a couple of weeks ago I noticed uh, there was they were starting to talk about a subject that was interesting to me and it started out with you know when you do a tweet storm you usually like to to signal how many tweets are, are in it which means that you've actually written it out you've actually gone to the trouble of writing it out somewhere and measuring how many characters and how many sentences you can put in each tweet so that you can divide it up into individual tweets. So you've taken that time to do it. Um, and again, you haven't put it in a blog post. You haven't put it anywhere else. Um, but but it, this particular guy, he started out his tweet storm with one of 35. And the minute that I saw that, I thought, I, there's no way I'm reading all 35. Uh, when I When I see somebody tweet, this is a really important thread for anybody to read. I see the word thread and I go, that sounds like a lot of... Of reading to do on twitter and twitter it just isn't made for that it's not friendly to do it i think it's the wrong medium it's the wrong place i will let everything you say stand and say um i do not follow a lot of tweet storms i think that it's it's it, it just sort of takes away from the pleasure of looking at the short form comments and uh I sort of wish that people would get blogs instead.
0: Yeah, I, I think the other channel I would tip, I I might use is make it a LinkedIn article because I think you get the the uh, the scope and the audience for it, and it's a it's a better platform for that. The the other thing that's amazing to me is like how in the world do you effectively send somebody to that or create you, you know say here's the link to my tweet storm it's just like the most user unfriendly uh, approach i ever thought of but i do have an open mind because i saw a use in the last couple of days from uh, cat moon at who i think goes by the handle inspired cat uh, who's a, a law professor at vanderbilt and uh, she's doing something like the, the 24 days of something And so she's doing one tweet a day and it's kind of done as a tweet storm, but like one, you know, there's one for each day. And I I like, I actually like that idea, but it's so different from that sort of assaultive uh, tweet, tweet storming. But now, Tom, it's time for our parting shots at one tip website or observation.
1: You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I cannot let a podcast go by without talking about something from Google. My new favorite Google tool, I think, unfortunately, at least for right now, is only available to those of you who are fortunate enough to have Pixel cameras. And if you don't have a Pixel phone, go get one. They are great phones, and they're even better cameras. But here's the reason why. They've debuted this new feature for their cameras called Google Night Sight. And it is a feature that, without using the flash, it takes low-light pictures that are so amazing. It is like you are shining a light on something in the dark. I mean, it is nothing short of magic to see. You don't want to do it in, in too much darkness because it gets really, it gets kind of grainy. I mean, there's only so much the camera can do. But I am absolutely blown away when I take a picture just in, in regular light with my regular phone and then uh, with the, the phone's regular camera. And then I use the night sight feature instead. It's amazing. So if you... You like taking pictures that might be in lower light, or you want to take pictures that are outdoors when the sun starts to go down. I gotta tell you, using a pixel camera is just amazing for taking great shots. And night sight is another reason why it's a it's a free tool for those of you who have Pixel phones.
0: And I have something that's almost uh, it was just so useful to me recently, and it's. Uh... It's almost like a little stocking stuffer you can give uh, some of your uh, tech friends, especially. But so the class I'm teaching at Michigan State, we did uh, at the end of the semester next to the last class, we did uh, pitch proposals by all the students. So there were 27 students, two minute proposals. All I did was I, what I wanted to do was take a video of those using my iPhone just just to capture it. So I used this mini tripod that the iPhone just clips into, and it was so easy and uh, worked so well. It was it was amazing, and so the one I, I use uh, is highly rated um, on Amazon. It's called the the Manfrotto M A N F R O T T O. M-T-P-I-X-I-Dash-B, very uh, easy name to remember. Um, but this is one thing about it that you remember, $13.77. And uh, if you want to do any video at all, I just uh, with the, with, an, uh, with your mobile phone, um, I, 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 this just makes a, a world of difference and is a cheap and easy way to experiment with video.
1: So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out to us on LinkedIn uh, or Twitter. We'll talk on Twitter. We won't tweet storm you to death. Um, or leave us a voicemail. Uh, we still want to take some questions or other comments for our B segment. Uh, you can reach our voicemail at 720-441-6820. That's 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast...